Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to the Drivers Meeting Podcast for the Wild Weekend at Road America. Practice ball might get some SR action action as well. We'll talk about that in a second. But want to take a quick uh, word from our sponsor here, Bet Online. As always, the month of June is heating up with a ton of sports action. Now we are into July. Hopefully everybody had a good 4th of July weekend. Uh, from basketball and hockey playoffs, uh, Stanley Cup underway as well. And the NBA Finals getting underway tonight, as well as baseball's marquee matchup, including prop bets and features. BetOnline has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your sports betting needs. So visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before your next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So... Um, the guest we have on today was actually in Road America this week, um, obviously doing Trans Am, and but the big talk was the victory on Saturday night, SRX. We talk about that a lot. Uh, great racing uh, program they got going over there. So Ernie Francis Jr., welcome onto the podcast. And how how's your weekend been? Hey, it's great to great to be on with you guys. It's been a, a crazy weekend, probably one of the biggest ones of uh, of my career now, and. Uh, Man, I'm still like uh, kind of not really believing everything all happened there. Like I still woke up this morning and was like, man, did that actually all happen? But uh, yeah, it's been incredible. It was uh, an unbelievable experience. So how did that all get started at, at SRX? We know, I mean, your storied racing career before that. And now, you know, with SRX with a lot of these veteran guys, and we got Tony Stewart, Bill Elliott, Michael Waltrip, the list goes on. And the interview, Ernie Francis Jr., um, really you know, you've made a name for yourself before, but now do you feel like you're really making more of a name for yourself than you have before? Yeah, no, I definitely think so. Um, this all got started with uh, me and Ray Abraham, actually. Um, I had met Ray at the SCCA runoffs um, about two years ago, and um, we were talking about his ghost, that uh, that old uh, classic, uh, like, resto mod kind of car that he built for road course racing, and ran it at Pikes Peak and stuff like that. We were, we were discussing that. And uh, it turns out he has a few uh, ex-GT1 uh, uh, vintage Trans Am cars also that he races in SVRA. So I had kind of given him some tips there, and, and we'd seen each other at the track a few times, and he'd been following what I was doing. And um, he had brought up to me one time that he, that he was trying to put together this SRX series, um, and if I'd be interested in running the road course races for it. So I told him, uh, yeah, I was down and be really interested when the time comes. And uh, during the offseason last year, he gave me a call and asked if I wanted to be full time with it and uh, definitely wasn't going to turn that down. But uh, it's been incredible. I mean, to race with these guys, legends of the sport, guys that I never thought that I would uh, even be able to meet, honestly. And now to be racing with them wheel to wheel, it's, it's been it's been amazing. Yeah, Ernie, let's talk about that, because you definitely were the one for me, like when they announced the SRX lineup. It was a little 
bit of a surprise. I think it was a surprise to a lot of people to see your name on there. It's not that you weren't deserving. It's just that we saw like Tony Stewart and Bill Elliott and Helio Castroneves. And then we see Ernie Francis Jr. Everybody's got to kind of look it up a little bit. And now you're the one that's second in the points in SRX. Yeah, no, it's funny how that all works out like that. But yeah, when when I got announced, that's what a lot of the fan response was that I saw. Um, people didn't really know who I was. Um, and the reason that Ray really wanted to bring me in is because when they used to run the IROC series, they always had the Trans Am, a Trans Am driver, a sports car driver in there. And they always usually had like the Trans Am champion in there. And being that we had won the championship the last seven years, he figured he's has, he has to have me in there. Um, it, it, it's unfortunate that the Trans Am series doesn't have quite the same recognition as it used to. It's been growing um, over the past few years, but it's still not to that same popularity of, of where it was once. Um, but yeah, people didn't really know who I was. And, and, you know, I've been trying to, uh, trying to show that I deserve to be there with every race that we've been doing. We've been getting faster and faster every weekend. And we really showed it over, uh, over at Lucas oil at IRP there. Um, a lot of the work that we've been putting in has been paying off and, you know, learning the car as I go and learning how to drive these short tracks. Um, it's so new to me. Um, but we're really starting to figure it out now. And I feel like we hit a pretty good stride and, uh, really excited to get to the next event at Slinger and see how it goes there. So Ernie, do you feel like you're kind of flying the flag for Trans Am right now? I mean, because you just talked about it. Trans Am is a very often overlooked series. It's really a lot of talent down in there. The cars are a heck of a handful to drive. You guys run some awesome racetracks. And it was a series that probably has lost a little bit of prestige. And now they've got the guy that's been the champion for the last seven years, a young guy like yourself out there second in SRX. I mean, in a way, do you feel like you're kind of drawing attention to this? Yeah, no, I definitely feel like it. And everyone in the Trans Am paddock uh, is watching as well. Um, they had huge watch parties for the for the past four race weekends. Um, I've been getting videos from all the different drivers and teams as they've been watching, whether in their hotel rooms or, or at the track in their trailers. Um, but yeah, they've been all watching and they're excited to show the world what Trans Am has and, and what Trans Am drivers are capable of because the, the fields are as competitive as ever in Trans Am. We're all uh, a lot of fast guys out there. Um, and it's just, uh, like you said, it's often overlooked. Um, so it's great to bring some attention to that series and show that, uh, you know, uh, even though it's not as well known as, uh, as it used to be and as well known as some of these other r- racing series, the, the talent is just as deep and, uh, and the guys are just as fast out there. And it's also no surprise that a guy that is as dedicated to motorsports history as Ray Evernham is, would recognize that, bring you in, and then you're having this kind of success. Yeah, no, it's been great. Ray has been so awesome. And, and like I said, after we had won the race there at Lucas Oil, um, I just have to give him the biggest thanks for all this because he's the one that, uh, that saw me and, and, and gave me this opportunity. He's the one that pitched me to, uh, to Tony Stewart and the rest of his, uh, his team to have me as being one of the drivers. So, I mean, it really all goes back to him for, for bringing me in there and, and I'm truly grateful for that because it's given me this opportunity to uh, show what I can do and, uh, and put me on a bigger stage where hopefully I can make the uh, next move in my, in my career. So Ernie, I, I do want to say this. I'm going to give you a lot of credit here as another driver that competes at a high level of motorsports. And I can't really even put myself in your position because you're basically put in like an IROC position where everybody that you're racing against is a legend of the sport and you've ruffled a few feathers. I mean, people have gotten pissed at you. Like Tony Kanan 
at Eldora is really mad. And I don't really know how I would react. I'm trying to put myself in that position, Ernie, where I'm going, okay, how do I react if I come in here as a little bit of the, who is this guy? And then you're running into people. And, and the reason I'm giving you credit here is because you're out there trying to win the race. Like you're, you're not starstruck at all. Like you're diving in, trying to win every one of these things. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the way I see it is, uh, you know, once we're in the cars, it's just another racetrack, just another uh, race car. And the guys that I'm racing against, I don't see them as, uh, as, you know, Tony Kanaan and Tony Stewart and Elio Castroneves and these guys, once we're in the car, they're just other drivers out there. And we're all, we all have the same goal. We're all trying to win. So it doesn't matter who they are. If, if, if they rough me up a little bit, I'm going to give them the same thing back because I'm not going to let them push me around just because they don't know who I am. Um, I believe once, once you let them do that, then they're, they have that mindset that they can walk all over you. Um, so, you know, at, at uh, Eldora there, me and Tony got into it a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty funny. Uh, he was pretty <laughs> pissed off after the uh, – in between the, the heat and the, and the feature, he came up to my window and was yelling at me, um, asking me what I was trying to do. And I just told him, I'm, I'm trying to get to the front. And we, <laughs> we got together there. And, and you know, it was, I, I thought it was just a racing incident. You know, we, we got together. Wall Street pushed me into the back also. And we all just kind of <laughs> slid up out there. And, but he, he calmed down after it and, and we had talked about it at Lucas oil and we're all good. Um, he, it kind of washed over pretty quick, but yeah, I mean, that's the type of type of racing that it is out there. The, it, it was a shock for me, the first race that we went to at Stafford because I'm more used to driving in Trans Am. And uh, when I race like in world challenge, and even when I race the, uh, the, the formula three series that I race in, there's not a ton of contact. Um, you're racing fairly clean. You know, especially in open wheel, you can't touch wheels. It's extremely dangerous, dangerous if you do that. And in Trans Am, um, guys are a little bit more wary of, of putting the bumper on somebody. So when I got to Stafford and within like the first five laps, Elio moved me out of the way. I was like, okay, I got to step it up a little bit. I can't drive, uh, drive too easy around here. So that definitely turned up the wick after that and, and kind of adopted that short track driving style of uh, – of leaning on people if you have to. And, you know, if you got to put the bumper on somebody, then you got to do it. But uh, it's been a lot of fun learning as I go. And, and some of these guys have been great uh, mentors for me as well. Like Tony Stewart has been so awesome and helpful um, okay. with everything this entire, this entire year with SRX. He's given me a ton of tips um, and kind of taking me under, under his wing a little bit. Um, so it, it's been really, uh, really awesome having him do that and, and help me out as we go. Yeah, and, and I want you to follow up on that because I'm really curious what the reaction was of the other guys you're racing with before all this started, right? Because right now, I mean, they have to respect you as a competitor and as somebody that's out there second in the points and obviously just doing a great job. But what was this like in the preseason of this and the lead up? Did they embrace you as one of the guys or did you feel like you still had to earn that respect? You know, I felt like they embraced me somewhat, but at the same time, um, I was relatively unknown there. We got to the to the preseason media day, and you know, I see all these guys there, and and they're legends, guys that I've watched on TV. And you know, I go and talk to them and stuff, and they ask uh, where I've raced and things like that. And you know, they they respect that because they all respect where where I've come from because they've all been in, they're all in later parts of their career and they've come from the same thing where they were trying to make a name for themselves. So they understand that. Um, but yeah, definitely. I felt like I had to kind of earn that right and, and show those guys that I deserve to be there um, that I can race with them. And I think uh, 
And I think I did that this past weekend. I think Tony summed it up when he was interviewed about how I did. And, you know, he, he said that I deserve to be there in the SRX series. And I think that that meant a lot to me. And I think that that means a lot coming from him um, to say that. And I think it shows that, uh, that, that I can be out there and run with these guys and, and run at the front. Definitely. Yeah. You, you, um, you talk about rough and feathers and, and racing and you talk about having to get like kind of adapting to, you know, using the bumper and using, using the car up a little bit. I mean, that win that you had this weekend did not come easy at all. I mean, those final, I mean, you have the yellows at the end, but you and Scott speed were going, going head to head in those final corners. And then ultimately, I mean, you had dominated basically a lot of that race and having to hold him off and hold those guys off behind you. I know Bobby Labonte gave you a late race charge as well. I mean, how, how was that really just beating and, and banging short track racing and ultimately getting the win? Yeah, it was tough. It, it was very tough out there because we had a fast car uh, in, in the features or in the heats. The car wasn't that great. And my crew chief, Tony Uri Jr., um, we came up with a game plan for the for the feature, made a small tire pressure adjustment. Um, and it just woke the car up. The car wasn't rolling around the centers very good uh, in the heats. And, and, and within like the second lap of the feature, I felt like we had a car that was very competitive and started moving up through the field. And, and you know, we got behind Scott Speed there. Um, and this was in the first 10 laps of the feature. And I just thought to myself, man, it'd be cool to lead a few laps in this race. Cause you know, I haven't led a lap in SRX yet. It'd be cool to, <laughs> to lead a few. I wasn't even thinking about winning the race. I was just thinking of just getting some, some airtime of leading a lap. So, uh, tried, we got by him and we just started pulling a gap on him. And I'm like, man, this thing is really hooked up and I'm not using up the car very much to do it. Um, I was able to just run the high line and the car just just did it and it, and it worked and, and it rolled around the center is great. Um, so I really was able to kind of save my car up front there. And then, you know, those cautions came out and it was tough, man. Those last 15 laps, it was just caution after caution. Um, I really thought we had it there after Scott speed got into us and, you know, he slid up into me and he slid back and I shot up and hit the outside wall and bounced down. And we had a pretty big gap over Labani and speed fell back. And I thought, you know, there's only two laps to go. We can just make it green to the end. And then I think, uh, I believe it was Paul Tracy got into it with, uh, with Bobby Santos and they caused another yellow. And that really, uh, that, uh, that sank my heart down pretty, pretty far there. Cause, uh, cause I was like, man, I don't know if I can handle more of those restarts. We were getting pretty roughed up out there. And, uh, luckily Bobby Labonte is really respectful guy. Um, you know, we leaned on each other a little bit, but once I was able to get clear of him, uh, he didn't try anything crazy. He didn't try to you know, just put the bumper on me, spin me out or anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was incredible. And, uh, going back to the Scott speed thing, me and him were, I mean, we were wheel to wheel there. I told him afterwards, I mean, I felt like, uh, Ricky Bobby and Talladega Knights bumping and banging down the back straight because, uh, we weren't giving each other an inch. I was, uh, up against the outside wall scrapes all along the side of the car. I was up against him and, uh, and we were just going for it, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was great and an incredible race, honestly. Talk a little bit about ORP. Because one of the things that we talk a lot about on the podcast here is places NASCAR should race and what fits the demographic that they're looking for out of a track. And, and there's so much like right now, they just announced Atlanta's getting repaved, which I'm sure we're going to touch on later, RJ. One of the, it seems like one of the premises here in SRX was to take racing back to places like ORP and Stafford and Eldora and these tracks that we've seen on the schedule. I mean, that feels like it was really specific that Tony and, and Ray wanted to go to these type of places. 
And for you, a guy that obviously seven Trans Am championships, now you're getting this experience on what I think is an outstanding short track, but it's a track that nobody's seen in like the national spotlight in a long time. You know, I think it's really great what they've been doing. They're trying to bring legends of the sport, um, some of these huge names in motorsport, back to the the home tracks, basically back to back to where they started. And it's great for all the fans that get to come out there and, and watch these guys um, that you know grew up racing around these places. Like we were told, uh, you know, Bobby Labonte, we did, we did the Q and A on the front straight at uh, at Lucas Oil, and Bobby Labonte was talking about how he used to race at at that place, and and that's where he got, I think, his first. Uh, his first Bush winner, one of, one of his Bush wins was there um, at Lucas Oil back in the day um, and talked about how his, how his wife had grown up in the area right in, uh, right in Avon in, in Indianapolis. And so, I mean, it's great just to bring us back to, um, you know, where, where racing started, bring us back to the fans that are really dedicated to it. And you can see it when we go to the track. These fans are absolutely having the time of their lives out there. The, these, the stands are packed. Everybody's having a great time. Uh, the autograph sessions are insane. Um, it's just an all around fun time. And I think all the drivers are having a lot of fun while doing it too. Well, it feels like a celebration of something that I've talked to RJ on here that, that seems to be missing a little bit from some of the stuff we do at the national level, which, which is that kind of like homegrown feel. And it's like guys like you and now the heroes of these sports kind of reconnecting with the grassroots of that. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is because we're, we're, we're getting back to these tracks that major series haven't been to in forever. Um, and, and it's great to see the fan interaction there. I, I'm personally really excited to go over to uh, Slinger um, this coming weekend. Um, being over at Road America um, this past weekend, every fan that I talk to um, is, is going to Slinger. They are so excited for that race. Awesome. Um, awesome. And, and I've heard so much about that place. Every fan is telling me how awesome that place is. And, you know, I've watched a few videos on YouTube um, of it and, and the place looks insane. It looks like a miniature Bristol high banking quarter mile track. Um, I wish it was on iRacing so I can get some practice laps in it. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I've been studying some, uh, some late model videos from there from uh, like Ty Majeski at the, at the Slinger nationals, just trying to uh, get a feel for it before we go out there. But, you know, going to these places that you'd never really get to stop at unless you were doing local uh, weekend racing with these guys, um, it, it's really awesome to, to go back to these places and, and check some of these tracks out. Yeah, as a racer, doing all the things that you've done, I mean, we talk about just this weekend. I mean, it was a good story that they were talking about uh, on the broadcast, too, about how you had to overnight from that race um, winning, then go to road America to compete in Trans Am. How, how was that from Saturday night? You're running a short track race, beating and banging uh, and then going to run Trans Am at a very long road course at road America. Like as a driver, how do those two things translate just in under a 24 hour uh, time frame? Yeah. And they are totally different on the kind of cars that I was driving there. I mean, the driving style that you use is so different as well. Um, you know, you have to try and switch that mindset that you have. Um, and, and it's especially tough after coming off of a win at Lucas Oil because now you're so amped up there. Uh, it's hard to get any sleep. It's hard to think about anything else. My phone's blowing up with people messaging me and, and saying congratulations. So you don't really have any time to really rest and think about what you got to do for the next race. Um, so it was tough. It, by the time I got back to, to Road America, I think it was 3 o'clock in the morning, and I had a few hours of sleep 
so once I got back, I watched, uh, I watched a few laps of, of, of video on video of, uh, my practice at road America in the Trans Am car, just to, uh, kind of get it back in my mind, what I was supposed to do out there, uh, how to turn right and left. And then, uh, yeah, just went to sleep with it. And the next day just went after it. And, and, you know, it takes a few laps. Usually I, I hop into the Trans Am car and within like two or three laps, I'm back at it. Um, but yeah, it, it is a pretty big switch. I think the, the hardest one for me was, uh, the previous weekend when we were at Eldora going from dirt on Eldora, then to mid Ohio to race, uh, the F3, uh, open wheel car and then racing the Trans Am car. It was three completely different cars, completely different driving styles I had to use. And, uh, you know, you had to kind of switch pretty quick because you don't have a, f- a bunch of laps to, uh, to figure it out when you're hopping right into a race. Yeah. So Ernie, you have a career right now at 23 years old that I think most people at 50 would consider pretty stinking good uh, to basically be a part of SRX, which is what I'm considering the new, the new IROC series, kind of a new style of that. Uh, and to be a seven-time Trans Am champion. So you've done this, and it seems like, from talking to you a little bit, that you really feel like this is just kind of the beginning of what you're wanting to do. What the hell are you wanting to do? Like you're already doing so many awesome things. What is next? What do you see as the future for you and your career? Yeah, I'm hoping that this is just the start uh, for for where I'm going to go with this. Um, I for for me growing up uh, being a road course racing guy, a sports car racer, I never really had the opportunities to go down like the NASCAR route or go down any open wheel or indie car route because those options just weren't available for me. We didn't have the, the, the budget. My family is not super well off to just go and pay for a ride somewhere to go race. So we did what we could. We, we work on our trans am car ourselves. I do all the work on it back at our shop. Um, myself, I even drive the trailer out to the track most of the time. So a lot of that is just, uh, it's just homegrown and, and, we do, we do it a lot ourselves out there. So these opportunities now with SRX that have opened up are opening a ton of new doors for me on ways that I can go. And honestly, I don't know where it's going to, where it's going to lead to right now. I'm just taking it a day at a time, um, seeing where I end up, but you know, doors have opened on the open wheel side with the F3 car that I race. And then now a ton of doors are opening on the NASCAR side and stock car side with, uh, with this SRX series. Hopefully that, uh, something here will lead to uh, maybe a truck ride or an Xfinity ride in the near future that I can get out there and, and show what I can do on the national level um, it, out there. And, and I think that'd be great. I mean, I've always told myself that I'd be happy racing anywhere with four wheels and a steering wheel. Um, I'm, ne- I'm never really too picky. I've driven so many different things, um, so many different styles of racing now that, uh, that I think anywhere uh, I'll be pretty much happy as long as I could uh, make a, make a career out of it and, make a living with it. I'll be, I'll be fine with it. Well, I'm sure everybody in Trans Am would love to see you step away from Trans Am and do something else. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure they, I'm sure they would. (laughs) Is that something that you've given any thought to? Like when you say you want to get into NASCAR, first of all, I think that's awesome. I think NASCAR would do great to have you being a part of it, especially at one of the lower levels. Somebody that's been a part of the drive for diversity program, like you have, and has had the success that you've had outside of the NASCAR world and then kind of get another chance to come back in, it would be amazing. Would you be looking for something like a limited schedule, maybe something just on those road courses where you are so good, or would you be open to a full schedule and a top series and kind of stepping away from the Trans Am thing? You know, I've actually 
talked about that today with uh, with my family. We were discussing it and we were saying that if something happened where there was a opening to do a full season in in a truck series uh, ride or in an Xfinity ride that I think I would take it and and probably just stop step away from Trans Am for uh, for the time being um, just because when the opportunity is there, you got to try and take it. And I want to put my hundred percent focus into it. If, if that's what I'm going to go do. Um, you know, I think I'd love to, I, I'd love to go do a road course races out there in, in NASCAR, but I think I can compete on the ovals as well. I think that was something when I was in the, the driver diversity program, um, they didn't really touch upon as much. They, they had me go and do a bunch of the road course races. I did some of the K and N races on, on the road courses at New Jersey and Watkins Glen, yeah. uh, had some really good runs out there. Finished but, second there at New yeah, Jersey. Finished second, yeah. uh, qualified on pole there, but just didn't really have um, a ton of seat time that they gave me on the oval. So I never really could try it out and, and see how I could do out there. Um, they always figured I was more of just a road course guy. I think I'm showing now that I can adapt and, and do both. And I think I could be competitive on the ovals. Um, so I think I'm up for a full-time ride and, and, and ready to do it if I get the chance. So now... You, I mean, you talk about adopting the ovals and road courses, stuff like that. And NASCAR is at a time where we've had, we got more road courses than ever. We got, we're at dirt tracks, um, something that you've got as far as uh, on SRX. And yeah, just, I want to ask about that real quick. The dirt racing and SRX, you've done both of the two dirt races now at Knoxville and Eldora. How was that? And did you have like a lot of prior dirt experience before that? Uh, I had one dirt race under my belt before we got to Knoxville. And that dirt race was about two weeks before the Knoxville race. I went over to uh, Hendry County Speedway, which is in Clewiston, a little dirt track, and I drove a, uh, a mod light. And that was my first ever time on dirt. And I actually went out there and won the, uh, won the heat race and won the feature. Um, so it was a pretty cool experience. But yeah, I'm not a, not a big dirt racer. I didn't come from any dirt racing background. That was at Knoxville was my second ever time on dirt. And, you know, just trying to learn as we go with it. Um, something I've always been fairly decent at was, uh, was sliding a car around at, at drifting and stuff like that. I'm being in South Florida, a lot of rain down here. So I spent a lot of time doing donuts and drifting around and, uh, you know, playing around in parking lots and stuff like that. So, um, I, I helped, I think that kind of helped me figure it out. And I was able to have uh, decent car control to, uh, to keep the car, uh, going straight as much as I could around the, around the dirt track. We did pretty well in Knoxville, um, yeah. with a third place finish there. Um, so really kind of surprised myself with how it went on the dirt, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I was, I, I was excited to try different kinds of driving style and trying to see how I do on different levels of stuff. And now with NASCAR seeming like they're going to more of a road course chassis with the new next gen car and seeing that they keep adding more road courses to the schedule. I think it's the perfect time for me to try and get into that, into that paddock and into that, um, area NASCAR, because, they need drivers that can adapt and run different things. They need guys that can run on dirt. They need guys that can run on ovals. They need guys that, that can run on road courses. And uh, I think I've shown that I can run all three and be uh, successful at it uh, this year. Okay. You say you've had these conversations with your family. I'm prying a little bit now. Have you had teams reach out to you? I mean, I saw where now you've had the support of Marcus Lemonis and, and SR and uh, Camping World basically saying, look, we'll put you in a truck. We will pay the sponsorship to put you in a truck. Has that given you some leverage? Have, have teams reached out to follow up on that? Have you been looking more in the Xfinity series where obviously we're running 
a bunch of road course races that would really suit something like you. I mean, you, it seems like you have some options here. Yeah, we definitely have some options. Uh, actually just reached out with, uh, to Marcus earlier today. So we have a phone call later on to, uh, discuss what plans he might have and, and where he's thinking, um, uh, for me to go with that. But yeah, I think, uh, there's some options. Haven't had any teams reach out to me yet. Um, but I think, uh, you know, once we talk with Marcus and see what his thoughts are, uh, we're going to start getting a game plan together and see where, where I want to go and run and, and where they want to put me, whether it's going to be one of the upcoming road course races or, uh, or an oval coming up. So we'll see what happens there, but really excited for the opportunity if I get it and, uh, and to go out there and, and show what I can do. Yeah. So real quick, I know you just said, uh, you're in South Florida. We got this one thing that I was talking about before I came on this podcast, we got that tropical storm rolling through and I was just hoping it wouldn't knock out my internet. Are you in that area where it's coming through? <laughs> uh, it's actually just West of us. Uh, it's going to the West coast of Florida. Um, so we seem like we're, we will be pretty good. I was worried that my flight was going to get uh, canceled or delayed when I was flying in uh, yesterday. Luckily, uh, came in without an issue. Um, but yeah, I think we'll be all right with the storm. I don't think it's going to uh, kind of come near us. We've been fairly that's lucky good. in the past with some storms, so uh, I think we'll be all right for this oh, one. Oh yeah, that's that's good. So I want to ask real quick about Road America, where you were at. I know Tommy Joe was there running the Xfinity Series this weekend, but um, you were there for the Trans Am. You were there part of the weekend as well. How do you feel like the atmosphere? Was it different, you know, much different, like with the NASCAR weekend being there? Do you felt like, I mean, the, the crowd was into it. There were a lot of people. I mean, how was it being there? Like, you know, as a driver walking around, looking at the, the crowd, the area, or just the atmosphere of being there. Yeah, I always love going to Road America. That's one of my favorite tracks that we race at. Uh, the atmosphere is always amazing, no matter what event you're at. Um, but yeah, this has had to be the biggest event that I've ever seen there uh, at the track. Uh, it's always usually a pretty big event whenever Xfinity comes. Trans Am's raced with, uh, with Xfinity uh, the past few years um, at Road America. So we're, all, we're used to seeing that, pro that crowd that comes out there. But this year having Cup there, um, it was unbelievable the amount of people. Like you couldn't get anywhere around the paddock um, with how many people were there like on Sunday. Uh, made it tougher trying to drive our cars around through the paddock, get us to grid and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, the atmosphere was awesome. I think it's something that definitely should stay on the schedule um, because I think the fans loved it and you don't realize it, but Wisconsin has some of the most diehard racing fans out of anywhere in the country. Absolutely. I mean, these guys, these guys are absolutely nuts about racing. Every single fan I talk to is going to Slinger. They, they go to road America all the time. They travel all across the country to watch races. I had guys telling me that, you know, they've been to two or three of the past SRX races already traveling around the country and, you know, these guys are just diehard race fans. And uh, I think that they really enjoyed it. And I think they need to keep uh, keep that show going up there. Definitely. No, I, I, I'll just add to that. You know, Arnie, you're you're right. Being a part of that, like even last year when we went to Road America, you know, kind of like a little after the kind of the big swell of the pandemic last year and, and people were so desperate to get back to outdoor activities. It felt like a really big deal, especially compared to like some of the races we went where there was literally no fans at all yeah. allowed <laughs> in the, in the place. It felt like a big deal, but this year it definitely was a huge deal. And I'm yeah, laughing when you, when you said it was tough for you guys getting out of the paddock for anybody that's been to road America and gone down in there in the area, basically trans Am is kind of parked on the main road in and out of the infield. 
and they just kind of have to weave around all the fans walking around in there yeah. to try to get up to the false grid. All, all we got to get them to move out of the way is we just rev our engines a little bit, and half the time they're not even paying attention, um, or they just want to hear us rev the engine. They just sit, keep uh, keep standing there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it was it was an awesome event, and I think it was one of the first events that we've been to in a while that felt kind of normal again. You know, seeing all the fans out there, seeing the place so packed, it, it felt like things are going back to uh, back to normal a little bit. Um, and, and I think it was great. I think all the fans really enjoyed it. And I know we enjoyed it um, as a team being there. It's always a good time. Um, all the racing going on. It just really felt like it, it felt kind of like a celebration of, of motorsports. Almost. There was so many fans from all different kinds of uh, fans of all different kinds of motorsport out there watching and just having a good time and, and enjoying themselves out there. So Ernie, you're going to be my first person on the pod that I want to always close RJ by asking a couple of questions. All right. I'm going to try this, this, this week, this is a new idea, Ernie. So I want you to stick with me on this. All yep. right. Do you have any regrets? You're 23 years old. I don't think that you have any necessarily racing regrets in your life, but in your career, is there something you wish you had done different? Um, I, I think if I could have, I would have tried to, um, tried to get into some short tracks earlier into my career. Um, even before I went through the diversity program, maybe I'd gone up to some of the short tracks that are in the, the middle and northern northern Florida areas just to get some more experience on it. I didn't realize um, how inexpensive it is to get into some of that versus some of the road course stuff that we had, that we do. Um, even just to get some more experience with it. Um, that way, when I had those opportunities with the diversity program and had more opportunities um, in, in short track racing and in oval racing in general, I had just a little bit more experience to do it. Um, I think that's something that I wish I could have done. Um, but I think, uh, it, you know, you can't change the past. And, uh, and I'm pretty happy where things are at right now. So if there is one thing I can change, though, I wish I could uh, go back and, uh, you know, maybe just have spun Tony Kanon out a little bit different that I didn't take <laughs> myself out as well. Because uh, that kind of hurt us in those championship points, put us a little bit on the back foot uh, behind Tony Stewart. Really, we're trying to uh, chase him down. So uh, made it a little bit harder for us. I think we're one of the only ones that can actually uh, catch him. Um, everybody else seems to be pretty far back in points, so we'll see what we can do. But uh, definitely didn't help the cause right there. Yeah, so some short-term regrets, but just yeah. a little <laughs> bit of a long, a little bit of a long-term. And I was curious about that, Ernie, because obviously you are a part of the Drive for Diversity program. You got down there with Rev Racing, and it just didn't seem like you really got a lot of opportunities. Like I'm sure in the moment that probably felt like it was going to be kind of a a catapult thing into the next part of your career. And it just, for whatever reason, it didn't. Yeah. I, I think there, there was a lot of scheduling conflicts. Uh, um, there wasn't a ton of time that they had to do late model runs and tests and stuff. And my trans am schedule was kind of smack in the middle of everything that they wanted to do. So it made it very difficult to go back and forth. Um, and it was just hard to get the right kind of seat time to where I can show what I can do. Um, and so it just didn't pan out there. Um, but I think the way it's working out now, I think, uh, I don't think I will change it for the world. Yeah. So let's fast forward. Deb. So now I'm 34 years old. You're 23, right? Ernie. Yep. 23 years oh, old. God almighty. You're so young. All right. Look, 10 years from now, you're my age. Where do you want to be? Uh, I'd love to be, uh, racing in, in cup. Honestly, I think I'd love to be racing in NASCAR cup. Um, I think I can compete out there. Um, who knows where the series will be in 10 years. Um, 
things are changing so much over the past few years. And, and that's, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And th- things are changing a ton for next year. We don't know what's going to happen with these new cars. Um, like I said, these cars, they seem like they're a lot more geared towards road course racing, independent yeah. rear suspensions, sequential transmissions, uh, transaxles. I mean, these things are, they seem like they're road course racing cars that they're going to make work on ovals. So you know, especially if they, if they open it up and add more road courses to the schedule, I think it's something that I can definitely see myself doing. Um, and, and I think I, I love to make it, make it out there and, and, and do that. Um, other goals for me in my career have always been to race at the like 24 hours of Daytona, uh, 12 hours of Sebring. Those have always been goal dream races for me to run at, uh, growing up in South Florida. I've been to those races a ton of years as a spectator and as a fan, um, uh, but never been able to race in it yet. So that's another kind of long-term goal that hopefully in 10 years from now, I could say that I've accomplished. All right. Can, can we make fun of me for a minute on this podcast? Yeah. Because you're talking to a guy that at the beginning of SRX, and I am on record as saying, Ernie, that I did not think this would be that big of a hit. And, <laughs> and I, think, I, think, I, think, I think a lot of people can say the same thing because <laughs> yeah. we really had no idea what to expect with it. Oh, well, that's good. That's good to know. <laughs> So like before this happened, and the reason why I was going to say that is it seems like now you're in a position that is so cool because you're getting to be a part of something that clearly has staying power. But you didn't yeah, know no, that I, in the moment, right? Like when you got invited to this and you showed up for the first race, how could anybody have been sure how this was going to go? Yeah, you know, when, when we first got the invite, um, you know, I hopped on it right away, but we really didn't know what to expect. There wasn't a car done. There wasn't. <laughs> even a car to go see i had went to ray's shop uh maybe two months before the first race and he had one chassis sitting there and you know i went and sat on the floor of the chassis there was no seat in it or anything it was just a rolling shell uh not even bodywork made for it yet so and and it just seemed like an awful lot of work to get done in a very short amount of time um and then we had gone back for the media day and holy crap there was eight cars already done with bodies on them running, ready, driving and, and ready to go. Um, the amount of work that the SRX guys have put in, um, the amount of hours that they've put in to get these cars going has been insane. I mean, from, from a few months before the first race, when they pretty much had one rolling chassis um, to now having 16 running and driving cars that are still running and driving after all the uh, beating and banging we've put them through uh, is really impressive. And I think they've done a great job with the series. I think they've honestly hit a home run with it. And the fans yeah. seem to like it. Uh, yeah. One thing that I really love about the series itself is that they listen to the fans. Um, you know, the first race at Stafford, there was a few hiccups that people wanted changed. And, you know, the series listened and we made adjustments to it. And for the next race at, at Knoxville, it was even better. And the fans loved it. And, and you know, it keeps getting better and better every race weekend. Uh, Ray Abraham likes to say, uh, in each of the driver's meetings that we have, that uh, we'll be smarter at the end of the weekend than we were at the beginning of it. We'll know more by the end of it than we, than we did at the beginning. And we're adapting and learning as we go. Um, and the series just seems to keep, to, to keep getting better. Um, so I'm excited to see where it goes for the last two races and uh, what the plans will be for, uh, for next year. Yeah. So like you said, there's two more races in SRX. And then after that, for people who don't know, what does the rest of 2021 look like for Ernie Francis Jr. after SRX concludes? You know, the, the last two races will be over and then, uh, you know, I still have a whole Trans Am season left. Um, luckily, we have uh, the whole month of August off. And then in September, 
We are at uh, Watkins Glen. Then we have uh, VIR, uh, and we have Coda still on the schedule for Trans Am, um, as well as the FR F3 schedule that I have still having races at Brainerd, uh, VIR, and Coda as well. So uh, a lot of driving for me left this year, and that doesn't include uh, anything else I might hop in. You never know if uh, some opportunities open up. Um, so really uh, staying busy this year for sure. I won't be done driving till uh, I think November is when the Trans Am season ends. So I'll be running out there for a while and then uh, hopefully start making some plans for the uh, for the following season. Yeah. And I'm sure you know, um, but at Nashville, I guess there's some added youth into the season finale for SRX. We'll be racing against Chase Elliott. Are you looking forward to that? Yeah, I think I think that's the uh, that's the word there. So really excited for that. Uh, we had kind of uh, known about it for a little while. It was a rumor that was getting spread around at the at the SRX Media Day um, back before the season started. We just didn't know when it was going to happen or when it when it might go. But uh, yeah, really excited for that. I think uh, it'll be cool to have a current nascar cup star go out there and race with us and really kind of show everybody how competitive we all are to him hopefully he doesn't run away with it hopefully it'll be a pretty competitive race out there and and we'll put on a good show i think uh it's going to bring in even more fans than uh, than it already has been and i think it's going to be a, a really awesome weekend well we're going to have a lot of fun watching it thanks a lot for uh for coming and hanging out with us ernie we appreciate yeah thank, you, thank you for having me on awesome thanks for coming on we'll be right back on the podcast Welcome back to the Drivers Meeting Podcast. Thanks again for Ernie Francis Jr. for coming on the show. We love having a great uh, group of guests on. Now we have an SRX, Trans Am, F3, everything driver, basically, uh, that has been on the show. So that's awesome to have him on. But we're going to get into some of the NASCAR news. We'll get into Road America in a second. But the big news of the day, as far as today, was the future of Atlanta. They had an announcement scheduled for uh, earlier afternoon and they did make the official announcement i mean we had talked about it on the podcast before it's been rumored forever um that atlanta will repave the track surface they're making some adjustments to the banking and the turns uh the width of the racetrack um all for kind of all sail ahead for the next gen uh of nascar so and do you have the official stats sitting there rj because i want you to read that out for everybody official stats so the reef profile will increase the current 24 degree banking in atlanta's turns such as it is now it will increase to 28 degrees higher than any other intermediate track on the current nascar circuit the straightaway banking will remain at five degrees and an initial in addition to the new high banks the racing surface will become narrower with an additional with an overall decrease in width from 55 feet to what it is now it'll go down to 40 feet and on the front stretch it will be 52 feet 42 feet on the back stretch and 40 feet in the turn so those are the official changes for the track obviously repaving the surface so what are your initial thoughts I mean, look, you're talking to a traditionalist here and everybody that listens to the pod knows my thoughts there. Um, That track is going to suck at first. And I'm sorry that I have to be the guy to say it. It feels like I'm always the guy that's going to say it. 
anytime, and that's that's not me trying to be controversial. It's just when we repave a mile and a half and it's new asphalt, the racing sucks. It just does. Yeah. It's every every intermediate that we do this to, it sucks. And and I get it, the 28 degrees of banking theoretically with that much grip um, and that banking, could you run multiple lines, multiple grooves? Yeah, but what we all know is that the, the preferred line with that much grip is going to be the bottom. So it's just going to be a single file thing around the bottom until the track wears more. And I'm not saying that it can't be a good racetrack. Like I'm, I'm sure it could be. Uh, I'll look at the repave that was done for Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And immediately everybody was, Tony Stewart came out and said, what the hell do these people know about rebuilding a racetrack? Well, you honestly, that one worked out pretty good. I think Las Vegas is probably the best mile and a half surface that we have going right now for kind of that high speed, high grip. You can race everywhere on a racetrack thing. And, and I'm hoping that's what happens to Atlanta. 15 feet of shortening the track surface, that is a lot. I mean, that is significantly narrower. Yeah. And I don't love that as a driver. I mean, obviously, I'm going to want more room to be able to spread out and move around. It looks like 40 feet. That's going to be pretty tight to be three wide, whereas Atlanta, when we had 55 feet, you could run three wide around there. You can make kind of those crazy passes up the middle and, and not feel like you were just absolutely getting on somebody's door. That is just not going to be the case around a track that's going to have so much grip and is going to be so high speed that what we know about how aero works in these cars, if you're that tight to each other, you're going to wreck. Yeah. And so I'm a little nervous about that, like admittedly. And, and they came out and said, RJ, and here's the thing, right? They said, no drivers were consulted <laughs> when they were asked about this. And as a driver, of course, that's a little troublesome. And I get that they're using iRacing and they're doing that, which I actually think is kind of cool. All right. For everybody that's just like ripping into that. I think it's at least that's something that's something more than we've had in the past. And I think that's kind of unique and kind of cool at the same time. It seems like this is being done RJ with the sake of like, when, when everybody remembers when the 550 package came out, they tested it at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, when they were going to do this all the time. And the idea was we want pack racing at mile and a half. That's what we want. We want to create pack racing, Talladega, Daytona style racing at these mile and a half everywhere we go, right? Now, what we've realized is that that just not happened, right? That, that Charlotte uh, all-star race that started all of this was kind of a fluke thing. It was kind of just an oddball. None of the races have really looked like that outside of maybe Las Vegas. That first time we went there, but still people were able to separate from each other quite a bit. All right. It feels like when I saw the iRacing debut video and the way they're talking and promoting this, like they're trying to make miniature Talladega. And, and the, the way they had the cars packed up and we're going to a 550 package, this new car, and the way we're talking about it, it feels like they're saying like, hey, we're going to put more banking in the turns. We're going to keep everybody kind of bunched up, high grip. It's going to be a little narrower and we're going to have kind of like pack racing. It seems like that's what they're saying. 
which what I know is just absolutely not going to be the case. That's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Well, well so, it worked on iRacing. Why can't it work in real life, right, Tommy? I just, <laughs> if, if that's what the goal is, then that's not happening. <laughs> so in that sense, I'm a little, you know, like skeptical. It just color me skeptical. I, yeah. I think what everybody was really hoping this announcement was about to be was some version of we're taking Atlanta back to the oval, not the tri-oval, but we're going to do some version of the oval with Atlanta, kind of the old style configuration where Atlanta is known for having turns that are longer than the straightaways, right? It was a mile and a half track, but the turns were so long. Um, and, and that was kind of unique. And I think that's what everybody was, was expecting. And, and then we got this, which, which will be unique, right? It'll be the most banking of, of any track. Um, but I would sit here and say Atlanta's unique right now. It's the most worn out track surface that we have. And it does produce unique racing. So if that was the goal, you kind of already had it, just not maybe in the way that you wanted it. And we were talking in the shop today, uh, RJ, about, and this is just, let's not start screaming about the mistakes of track builders, right? Let's just try to objectively go down the list with where this has worked and not worked with SMI Marcus Smith owned tracks. Okay, let's just go down the list. Bristol, they did a configuration change. Was that a good change? Obviously not because then they reconfigured it again. And then now we're putting PJ1 all over the bottom of it to kind of reconfigure it again. So that's basically, you had to change it four times. Okay, so that didn't go very well. Las Vegas was a change. I would say overall a positive change. Now the first few years, not very good. Where we're at with the track now, with it being a little more worn and weathered, beautiful, amazing racing, clearly did a great job, right? So this is not all negative. Texas, when it came time for a change, obviously that's the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen in my entire life. It is terrible, all right? That's the worst racetrack on the earth to the point that now IndyCar probably won't even go there because it's so bad. So that's not, okay, okay so that's probably not a good one. All right, where else can we go down the list now? Uh, with the tracks that they own. New Hampshire really hasn't changed anything there, but we have started using PJ1. I would say at times the PJ1 has probably helped the racing at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. So I would say that that's kind of a positive change. I think the biggest plus that Marcus Smith can talk about during his tenure uh, in this is specifically what they did at Charlotte Motor Speedway with the creation of the Roval race. He had the Coke 600. He had uh, another race in the fall. And he turned that into a unique event where now Charlotte Motor Speedway is a legitimate premier level road course. Like it is a really nice road course, yeah. but, but such a unique event that creates a must watch thing like the role. It's wild. It's, we're going to be wild. So that's a beautiful marketing and track design and the way he laid everything out to be able to convert it back and forth. Beautiful. So it's not all, Nick's against Marcus Smith, right? It's not all doom and gloom and negative, and they own more tracks than, than what I'm going to continue to get into here. Kentucky, obviously, was a big miss. Uh, it was a miss the first time they built it. They repaved it. It was a miss the second time when they repaved it, and eventually we, we shut it down. So that's obviously a big miss. But, but I'm going down the report card here for SMI with Marcus Smith, and it's 
we're basically batting 50-50 on this. So it's hard for me to sit here when we announce this and go, oh, it's going to be great. I, like, I get that's probably the spin that I'm supposed to put on it. Uh, I want it to be great. I adore Atlanta Motor Speedway. It is the place that introduced me to NASCAR. It is the first NASCAR track that I ever went to as a kid. My dad took me there. We went to the spring and fall races all the way back when, when it was the old configuration and it was the championship race. Okay. So like it has a near and dear place in my heart. So the fact that we're changing it automatically, you get me in my feels, right? So I'm just going to naturally be like opposed to change at a place that means so much to me. Yeah. But if this is the direction that we're going, I would say overall, the reconfiguration of Atlanta Motor Speedway probably over the course of time has been a little bit of a negative, right? Now, at times they sold a lot of tickets with the trioval thing, but I think everybody would probably say we probably were better served just leaving it what it was as, as an oval because they basically had to change Homestead to make it like what Atlanta was. Yeah. And then everybody's like, oh, this is the best place for the championship. It's like, well, we already had that in Atlanta. <laughs> so, so that's kind of weird. Uh, so was it overall a negative change over 25 years? Yeah, probably a little bit, you know, honestly, but I feel like the track does put on good racing. And I went and saw a lot of those races at the beginning of the repave when they were doing 198 average around that place. And it feels like that's where we're headed with this with 28 degree bankings in the corners and new pavement. It's going to be unbelievably fast. And there were, for a long time, Atlanta had the reputation of being the fastest mile and a half on the circuit because the turns were so big, so wide, uh, and you can carry so much speed. And I think we're, we're probably headed back to that era of Atlanta. What I'm just hoping is that it is a positive change for the racetrack. And looking back at the history of this, I think it is very fair for people, especially drivers that were not consulted, to just have a layer of skepticism about how this is really going to wind up racing. Yeah. So I got uh, another quote here from Stephen Swift, the senior vice president for Speedway Motorsports. Uh, he said, I, I just saw this, so I wanted to read it out. It said, I say this is kind of jest. When a driver is happy about our racetrack, usually the fans aren't, and we want to make sure what we're creating, what the fans want to see. So do you think, I mean, that's kind of the reasoning I think probably in response to not consulting the drivers is they want to give something uh, to what the fans want. Do you think that's the reasoning there? I know what everybody's expecting me to say right here is, oh, screw this guy. All right. That's not <laughs> what I'm going to actually say. Okay. Believe it or not, I'm not. Like, he's right. I mean, at times we understand, like drivers love racing at Richmond. Richmond's admittedly getting a little boring when you watch the race you're like wow there's no car they called it the action track back in the 90s and there's now there's not a lot of action we kind of spread out and run around and, like i get it like i i understand the thought process here um but what i would say in response to that is the people that love stock car racing the 750 truthers on Twitter and people, they love Atlanta. They love worn out racetracks. They love Darlington. So what are you trying to give us? Like that's that's the follow-up to that is like, okay, well, what is that exactly that you're trying to give us? Because there's a segment of the fans, seems to me like the diehard ones 
that really do like what it is already. So you're changing to something new. What are you trying to give us that we don't have? And, and yeah, like I would say that I love racing at Kansas Speedway. It is a great track, multi-groove, progressive banking, right up by the wall, right around the bottom, move around. Yeah, and at times, does that race get kind of spread out? Yeah, it does. But what do you really want here? So do you just want us to wreck? Like, would you say that Texas puts on great racing? I would say that it puts on terrible racing. It's the worst. But are for the track promoter and the designer, are they like, oh, this is good. They're all bunched up and they're going to wreck more. All right, well, good grief, man. Like, if all we're doing is making a demo derby track, if you're trying to make mini Talladega Daytona, if that's what the goal is here, then man, I wish we didn't have a next gen car that costs 300 grand because if we're just going to try to tear it up from a track designer standpoint, that doesn't seem to be very beneficial to the teams at all. So like, that's it. I think there's more of a follow-up of like, well, what are we really trying to do here? Are we trying to just put on an entertainment product or are we trying to be a showcase for the best drivers and teams in the world. And what we're going to do is put them on a track surface. That's going to wear the tires out really fast and they got to manage it. Yeah. One of the beautiful things about Atlanta is that there's always a lot of comers and goers at Atlanta, right? There, there always are because on late run stuff, as the tires wear out, it's affecting guys differently. Right. So now the guy that saved tires or short pitted or whatever, and he's blowing past everybody the gaps there are going to change a lot. And that's to me, what creates pretty good racing is yeah. When everybody's on equal stuff, it's really hard to pass when those different strategies are happening and the different tire conserving and longer runs are happening. It's going to split the field and move the field around a lot. Right. So I think really what we're talking about in that quote, RJ is, is this push and pull of, a feel to like change towards a newer era versus a desire to kind of like link back to what, what I grew up in love with, with kind of an older style of racing. And yeah, at times that's going to be kind of spread out. There's not going to be people on the lead lap. So I, I get it that that's not the sexiest thing. And so it seems like that's, that's the direction they're leaning. And I think it was really telling that they tied this into the next gen car so much. They were like, this is the next generation of Atlanta Motor Speedway, right? So they're, they're clearly doing this for the next gen car. And that's why all the iRacing testing was really around the next gen car on this track, which really gives me a complex because we've talked about like the future of the Xfinity series and stuff. And it's like, well, that really wasn't the thought, the thought process at all for this thing. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, that, that, is that telling in any way? <laughs> yeah. So from, I, I love any opportunity uh, to go to a racetrack. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, I went to Atlanta motor speedway this year and watched all three of the races. That was the last track I was able to go to from now um truck race i mean that was the truck race xfinity race that weekend was probably it was an incredible race i mean watching it battles all throughout the track i mean we know what the xfinity series produces the package it was an amazing race cup race buddy buddy, you posted a photo you posted a video on twitter that went viral of james davison and cody Ware duking it out for a 
class. So it's like this idea that we're not like, oh, well, the race is not that good, that good. Look at the leader just stepping out here. First of all, there's racing going on. Everywhere. <laughs> it's going on everywhere. Maybe the cameras are missing it, but I'm telling you, there is good racing going on. Yeah. Now, now I will be honest. The cup race, there was not much going on on the racetrack. There was no battles. And that's that's part of the reason why I recorded that. Yeah. James Davis and Cody, where I saw them duking it out, and I was like, holy cow, let me, I got to get, I mean, I was recording, trying to record anything I could find. The Xfinity race was great because there was just stuff everywhere. I mean, you had Tommy Joe Martins and Santino Ferrucci duking it out for like 15th, like 30 oh, yeah. laps into a run on the backstretch going wild. Yeah. That was a great battle. Throwing sliders on each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we talked about that after that race because that was awesome. But yeah, I mean, the cup race, I always think there's a problem under the problem. The cup races weren't the most amazing thing in the world, but it's, I mean, you got to look at the package we're running. I mean, you know, it doesn't allow, I mean, the fans know the story that doesn't allow those guys to slip and slide around as much. And the air is, you know, more... Uh, it's more aero than than driver really as it as it seems especially even with that track as worn out as it as it is and that's why i really love the xfinity race and it was a lot different than the cup race still there was some good action for the cup race but it's like one of those things that we see in the mile and a half now with with the package that we run it's like okay you and and that's one thing that you know long with the charlotte all-star race i was kind of just a fluke like we're hoping they were hoping for that pack racing all race. I mean, one thing about the Charlotte also race is there were so many stages, so many cautions, so many restarts, right? The thing we see right. now with the package is every restart we have, okay, three laps, woo, three, four wide cars going crazy. After that, it's really nothing. There's not much that goes on. Las Vegas, it, it kind of does go on for a little bit. You see a lot of battles going on. Uh, and that's why I think a lot of people like Las Vegas. I mean, Las Vegas is like we, you had just talked about a pretty good progressive track. Progressive banking. Progressive banking. Track. So that seems to work well. And so that's what, that was the key word that I was looking for in the Atlanta release. Atlanta, yeah. Like, oh, they're probably going to do some sort of like progressive banking up 28 degrees. I was like, yeah, that would make sense. You know, like I, I kind of get that. Nope, that wasn't there. I'm going, okay, well, that, what have we learned here? <laughs> I don't know. It looks like they're going something different. I mean, it's different than, than Texas, um, which is a good thing. We don't want to do that ever, ever again. No. Um they're they're you know they're shortening the width and, of the track and, that, and you just bring up a really good point rj you just made me think of something is this a response to that so think about what that was with texas and that was the last time that they really did a major reno on a track and they said here's what we're gonna do we're gonna flatten it out and we're gonna make it wider and it was terrible yeah. and so they're like well then i know what we're gonna do we're gonna narrow it and make it more banking <laughs> So is this, Maybe. is this a response to that? Uh, I think it could be. Um, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure that they look at what they did for Texas and are smart enough to realize, okay, we're not going to do that again. Even all the people that did the repave and formulated it out for years and made it happen. I'm sure they all realize that they should never do that again. So maybe they just went and yeah, like you said, did the total opposite. And I was looking at a, a quote from Kyle Larson now. I hope in the in the future of these podcasts, I can use like quotes and put them in like the audio. And then it's yeah. like we do it like an English class where we're like, all right, analyze the quote. And then right. we talk about right. it because this morning I woke up and I got a, officially approved for for uh, NASCAR media. Like I'm, I'm officially yeah, NASCAR media finally. Um, so I've been like surfing around that NASCAR media site. It's really cool. But 
Um, hopefully we can get in some actual quotes in here soon. But anyways, from Kyle Larson, he said uh, they were asking him, obviously one of the drivers, well, all the drivers didn't know about what they were doing, but he said, but you know, fans like crashing and a 40 foot wide surface is going to keep us tight together. So maybe that's what's going to accomplish the good racing that we think it is. <laughs> that's what he said earlier. And I mean, <laughs> I was I was interested to see. That was one of the first things. Uh, it's hard to disagree with Kyle there. I, now I'm surprised he went there, but obviously that's what a lot of us were thinking, right? And that's what I was talking about earlier. What is this good racing that you want? Is the good racing us crashing each other? Because the thing is, guys, like and girls listening to the podcast, we love all of you. Um, as aero dependent as these cars are. All right, you are never going to see the slide through the corner beating and banging like 1987 Atlanta. All right, it's not happening. You can't get close to somebody like that without wrecking them, basically. If I get down on somebody's door, it takes all the air off the back of their car. That is Cup, that is Xfinity, who barely has any to begin with, and that's trucks. But I think it is telling that every single time we hear something like this, and we talk about where the best racing in NASCAR is, it's the Xfinity series where the downforce is lower and the horsepower is higher and it's less of a factor, right? So now we're going to go to a next-gen car that's going to have a lot of downforce, even though they're working on it a little bit, but it's going to have a lot of downforce. And you're going to narrow up the track. Like, it's still going to be a deal where you can't really get side-by-side with somebody because you're probably going to take the air off of them. And now it's going to be on a super gripped up surface, a la Texas. And now the effect of that is going to be compounded because you're going faster, right? Like at Atlanta, I can still take the air off somebody. But the thing is, like, I was probably already loose as heck to begin with <laughs> because the surface doesn't have any grip. Like at Texas, I am so gripped up and loaded up in the corner and going so fast that when somebody takes the air off of me at that point, it's, it's probably just a wreck. So that's what Kyle is kind of referencing there. He's going, okay, you know, 28 degrees of banking, new surface. We're going to be going really fast and we're probably going to get the air taken off each other. And that's just going to be a bunch of wrecks. Yeah. That's, that's definitely one thing for sure. I mean, it's interesting to see what they've kind of formulated on iRacing, how that will translate to what we actually see. Um, but one thing I saw before I forget, I saw on, on Twitter this weekend, somebody had tweeted out um, about the road course racing. And now Ernie Francis Jr. had noted on how these cars are really, they're building them for, for road course racing yeah. um, and to be good on the road courses. And now somebody brought up that one thing about NASCAR road courses is how like hard the cars are to drive and how they're like not meant for road course. And that's what makes them like fun to watch. I don't know how you know much cool that is on the driver's side. But yeah. And do you think like with this next gen car that will be taken away, like the slipping and sliding aspect, the, you know, how hard it is to to drive, is that going to be taken away with, with the next gen car on the road courses? Look, I think it's, it's always going to be hard to race these cars because you're racing so many guys that are so good at doing it. All right. So many drivers that are, that are so talented. All right. So it's always going to be tough. It's I'm not taking that away. Yeah, it does seem like this is more of a GT kind of Trans Am type of platform with this car, which like the influence of that is coming from IMSA 
and kind of the, the guiding hand here of Jim France, who was the head of IMSA. So that's clearly where a lot of this is going. And, and Ernie talked about, you know, the sequential shifter and how we're using a transaxle and, you know, we're, we're independent rear suspension in these new cars. So will it be easier? Yeah, it does. It feels like the, these cars are almost road course cars. I'm using Ernie's words here, not mine, right? It seems like they're designing a road course car and then they're going to make it work on ovals. I feel like that is what Ernie said is very, very accurate. And that is like, to me, a little sacrilegious compared to what NASCAR has always been. NASCAR has always been, yeah, we're going to go run a couple of road courses a year just because this, just, just to do it, just to basically let some guys flex their muscles at this, right? But really, we're a short track. We're an oval series. That's really what we are. Yeah. And that's what these cars are really designed for. So it seems crazy to sit there and say like, all right, we're going to kind of make a road course car work on an oval. Um, yeah. I mean, that does sound a little weird, doesn't it? But yeah. you're like, yeah, we're going to make this road course car work at Daytona super speedway. Um, yeah. A little weird. <laughs> a little, little weird. That, not to say that it won't work. But that is a little weird. Yeah, um, it's going to be interesting. I know they have a test uh, at Daytona Oval uh, with a bunch of cars. I think sometime in the middle of August, I think it is. So we'll be able to, or at least they'll be able to see uh, how it works. Because um, obviously that's going to be, well, we'll have the Clash. The Clash will be the first race of the season. And I'm sure that that'll be the road course race. And so you'll see how it works in the road course. And then we'll take it to the Daytona Oval. And I mean, it's, it's coming up. I mean, the seasons, 2021 seasons winding down 2022 seasons getting here though. I've all sorts of, I'm sure some tests and, and then practices before the race uh, as far as speed weeks. So that'll be interesting to see, but yeah, you bring up a good point. And what Ernie brought up is how they're designing this road course car and hoping it will work on ovals and maybe is, you know, I know we've talked about before how IndyCar basically has two different packages that they run on yeah. road course yeah. and speedways or ovals. So, you know, is that something that maybe, you know, NASCAR could get into something like that? Yeah, and, and I could see something like that happening, RJ, especially if when they get to the end of this testing process, they go, okay, this is probably just not realistic. Uh, yeah. But it kind of defeats the purpose of what the goal was in the car, which much like the COT is to kind of have a car that you could then run everywhere, right? And then what did we immediately do we immediately started having short track cars and speedway cars and road course cars. And all that. We immediately went away from that. We said, no, this is bad, right? This chassis is terrible. This is awful. And we need to reconfigure the chassis, right? So what I know about racers, okay, is that this feels like the first brush, the first stroke of the brush of what this car is probably going to wind up being in the long run. And the hope is that it is going to overall lower costs, um, which I think for bigger teams, it definitely will at the expense of personnel, right? And cutting the size of these teams. Will it be a cheaper car to race? That, that I am skeptical about in a big way. 
because uh, it feels like everything on the car is more expensive. So how would it possibly be cheaper <laughs> to run it? So um, I'll just wait and see. Now, I just, I want the car to race well. That's, I think that's what everybody wants. Quite frankly, none of the fans care how much this stuff costs. All right. And, and everybody that's listening to the pod, they just went, yeah, I do. I mean, I really like staying informed. Okay. Yeah. You like staying informed, but it's not really affecting you how much the car costs, right? Like, I don't really care how Mike Trout is getting paid by the angels. Like he's the highest paid guy in baseball. That's not affecting really how I'm watching the baseball game, right? Like it affects the angels and it affects like their business, but it doesn't really affect the fan experience. At least I don't think it should. But what we're talking about is a little more inside baseball and how that's going to affect these teams and what might be the future of the sport, which is something we talk about on the podcast so much. Yeah, exactly. And then that cost was a big part of it. Yeah, for the teams and for everything like that. So now you being in the Xfinity Series, Xfinity Series team owner, um, with all these moves that have been happening, it's really preparing like this whole Atlanta move is headlined by okay we're preparing for the next gen of nascar the next gen next gen car the nascar cup series and really the xfinity and truck series are just following these moves around so like what do you think these type of moves and maybe specifically the atlanta move that uh, you know the track mean kind of for the xfinity series in the future so I, it cut out a little bit right there at the end there, RJ. Just run that back for me one more time. Oh, yeah. I was saying maybe specifically for Atlanta, like how these moves yeah. um, primarily for the Cup Series, like they're all saying, oh, this is, you know, for the next gen, meaning the next gen NASCAR Cup Series. Like, what do you think all this means, you know, for the future, um, you know, of the Xfinity Series, Truck Series, primarily you, the Xfinity Series being Xfinity Series. The leaves there, as I kind of have, it's, it's like, are you looking at what is not being said? <laughs> And, and and this is me, and it's probably why everybody likes listening to this podcast is because I, I just tend to look at things a little weird. I look there at what was not being said, and it didn't seem like Xfinity cars were really a big consideration in the changes made to the track. So uh, I'm not going to over project that. All right. Like I have said my piece on it. I have said my concerns on where I think Xfinity could fall in the bigger scheme of this. Um, nobody has said this, like nobody has come to us and said, Oh, there's the countdown clock or anything like that. But I am noticing a trend of things coming up that I go, hmm, what is going on here? <laughs> and, and it seems like this Atlanta release and the way that it has been talked about um, with the focus on the next-gen car makes me a little leery. Uh, it just I'm adding it to the pin board of things where I'm like, all the dots are connected. I'm like, I look like Charlie in that, uh, that It's Always Sunny meme where he's just, he's got everything connected on a big whiteboard. That's me, basically, with people like potentially talking about the Xfinity series and where it's going. I, I would probably add this to the board. Yeah. So I, you know, that, that is like, I'm curious about that as well. I know all these things are being meant for this cup series, you know, the package next gen, they're hoping for closer racing and stuff like that. I'm just curious if they're going to send like 
the Xfinity series there with a the certain package because I know like they're they're focusing yeah. on pack racing with with this next gen car in the Cup series and you could tell by that whole video that they put out that that is their focus to make like a a mini Talladega or mini Daytona um, with what they're doing for Atlanta. So you know I know and we know how you know those Xfinity cars are drive the current package the current horsepower you guys run. I'm just wondering if they're going to send a certain you know send you guys there with a certain package maybe that's what they'll be considering. Look, we've used that high drag package in these Xfinity cars before to differing levels of success. I mean, we used it at Michigan um, a few years ago. I would say that that was, you know, it, it was a unique race. Like, was it a great race? I don't know. I was a part of it. I know this with BJ McLeod's team. I was able to run up in the top 20 and the top 15 yeah. and and protect my position at times on a pretty small underfunded team at the, at the moment. So could, could we maybe see the return of that package with the, with the arrow ducts and, and the bigger spoiler and kind of that high drag uh, setup? Yeah. I mean, I, I could see something like that maybe. And, and with a new surface like that and, and as the banking, yeah, maybe that could work better because really Michigan is really wide, but not a lot of it's really raceable surface at Michigan. Yeah where we did that. It's really pretty narrow when it comes to the raceable surface area of Michigan. Um, and it seems like all of this is going to be pretty raceable, uh, but it is significantly more narrow. So it's hard to say, RJ, like until we get down there and like, I love iRacing and, and I actually think this is really cool what they're doing with this, but it's just really hard to say until we actually get some race cars on this track. Yeah, exactly. So We'll step away from that for a moment. We'll talk about Road America to kind of close off the show. Um, top 15 for Tommy Joe and Martin's Motorsports. I know you uh, You said you had said you were mad at yourself for your qualifying effort. Is that why you went out there maybe angry as a race car driver and got yourself top 15? <laughs> I don't think I went out there uh, really angry. I don't I don't really get angry a whole lot, RJ. I, I, maybe just I'm motivated. Really- uh, I was probably, if anything, I was more confused because I didn't, it didn't make a lot of sense to me because I had run faster than that in practice on old tires. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I know our pace is better than that. What was going on? And I think we had a little bit of an air pressure thing going on uh, where we tried something to pick up qualifying pace and it, and it probably hurt us. Yeah. And then on top of that, let's throw in probably I didn't run the greatest lap and you really only had one lap. So yeah, I think it's probably a combination, but but clearly we had speed and were able to run inside the top 20 basically the rest of the day and, and in the top 15 and at times brushing against the top 10. And really, uh, I could be sitting here talking to you about my career best finish if this thing goes green to the end uh, there in the final stage. We had pitted with about 17 laps to go and, and taken fuel, and we knew that we could make it. Um, we had kind of done that earlier in the race to kind of look at what our fuel mileage was. Uh, we were good. So we were running like 11th or 12th on track. There were people in front of us that still had to pit and I was faster than about three or four guys in front of me. So there's a version of this that goes the Jeremy Clements route with, with Martin's motorsports there, where we're sitting here talking about a top three, maybe even a win uh, if the thing broke right. Uh, because I can tell you my crew chief, Dan Stillman on the box when that final caution came out with 10 to go, um, some of the guys on my crew said that he slammed 
you know, his notebook down on the table. And cause he was like, we're, we were about to win this race. Cause he had already looked at who had to pit and who we were beating on time. And it looked like we were going to be really competitive with, with the first or second guy that could still make it to the end. So, uh, you know, that's, when I heard that out of the car, I didn't know that was going on. Yeah. <laughs> when I heard that out of the car, obviously it was a little disappointing. Um, but what we know is these road course races very often come to a to a head in the last ten laps with a green white checkered or a or, or a restart, and and it did. It wasn't a green white checkered, but it was a restart with with you know seven eight laps to go, and uh, we got knocked around a little bit. Uh, some other guys got knocked around a little bit. There, there was probably potential for a caution right there in front of me when Balicki uh, got run into by Moffitt, uh, they're going into Canada corner. Yeah. They didn't throw the caution. They kind of swallowed the whistle on that. We can talk about whether or not that was the right call or not. I, I am generally pro them swallowing the whistle at road course races. Yeah, It's like, you got plenty of time to get your car going again. You know, as long as nothing's falling off of it, leaking oil everywhere or something like that, just kind of figure it out. Right. It's what I would say most of the time is NASCAR. So uh, it played to my benefit there. It's, it's bitten me in the past. So I've, I've had it both ways. It, it worked out where we got uh, clear of a group of cars that we were racing and, and were able to, to get past Kaz Grala and Brandon Jones and, uh, and, and Preston Partis, who was having a good run there um, and, and get ourselves a top 15. So it felt like a really good day. Yeah, um, I noticed on on the broadcast that they show a lot on the side on the ticker, like how many tire sets everybody's got. Who's got so you know amount of tire sets they got? When when did they last pit? And I noticed there was there was like I think two two cars maybe in the top ten that had uh, additional tire sets or pit maybe earlier. Maybe were on sort of the same strategy as you. I wasn't sure if they could make it, but then I saw I saw you down there right around the fifteenth area at the time. I think on the, the graphic when they were showing it, and I yeah. think it was before the final yellow. And I saw you down there in that strategy. I'm like, hmm, I'm sitting and thinking like, yeah, if this does run green, could get up there. I didn't know it was going to be a potential win, potential top three. I was just thinking top seven, maybe top five, because I didn't know. And, where and that's what I said. And, and he said, yeah, you know, at worst you were going to wind up in the top five, and at best you would have potentially a long run speed where we were always, we were pretty good. Um, yeah. He said, you might've had a shot, a shot at him. So yeah. Do I think that was probably a little ambitious to say we were going to win the race? Yeah. But I get how, like in the moment yeah. when we you can win the race, up, you can, you came <laughs> up with the plan and it's playing out and you're looking at your speed and you're seeing it all kind of come together. And then the caution comes out. I get why you'd be frustrated and, and how, how that would be the response. Gosh. Yeah. So, so now we go to Atlanta this weekend. Oh, real quick on road America. I know you had noted uh, with Ernie Francis jr. I mean, how the atmosphere was, and we talked about it before, you know, yeah. the weekend, all the fans there, all the areas where you can stay. I mean, every corner there was places, shady areas. There was the, uh, the I think they called it the party deck, um, yeah. all sorts of stuff like that. Did you like participate in any of those like festivities? Did you walk around at all? And how much did you see from, from the racetrack? Just driving in and out. I mean, obviously, we spent all our time in the garage over there. Uh, I've been around Road America a lot now. Uh, I've been up there several times, and um, it's always a great atmosphere. It just is. Um, but like we talked about with Ernie, it felt like there was a different level of excitement. And I think we could probably attribute some of that to we are post-pandemic. It was kind of like a free-for-all, right, as far as like 100,000 people showing up and all this. And then uh, – Part two of that, the newness factor of the Cup Series being there, right? So there was a buzz 
to it. And um, I said to a couple of the drivers before we, we were doing the intros that one of the things I missed was, was getting in the pace truck to do the pre-race kind of ride around on a road course because a, a road course is a unique facility. There's not a main grandstand, right? Like you're just kind of seeing people all yeah. around the racetrack. And that was always a fun part of that. Uh, for me on these road courses is getting that ride around and you actually see how many people are there. And it's kind of like, okay, wow. All right. This is a big crowd. They're just not all in one spot. Uh, and we missed that. Uh, we didn't, we didn't do that this year. And, and I get why. Uh, and at the same time, it's like when I was driving around in pace laps, looking around, I was like, wow, okay, this is a big, this is the biggest Xfinity crowd that I've ever seen up here. Um, and for the cup crowd, it was even bigger. Yeah. So now we go to Atlanta where you had an 18th place run uh, last year and you were running a little bit better than that. I think during the race too, as well, cause I was there and I was watching all the battles go on. There was a lot of things that happened uh, that race, but now going there, you got a notebook. This is like the first, first time in a bit we've had, a, we've gone to Atlanta twice. Uh, so now you got a notebook on what you did in the past. So uh, are you, you're looking forward to this weekend? Really looking forward to it. Diamond guessing on the car here. Um, and I think what's going to wind up being there, probably their final race of the year. Uh, David Hall, the owner of that, is going to be down there in Atlanta hanging out with us. So it's really great to get him back to the racetrack and uh, get to see that car up close, the Gene Machine. And, so last Gene Machine race of the year. Yeah. And, and also uh, for me, uh, on a personal note, right, how my schedule is, is probably going to change quite a bit next year as I've kind of hinted around that like I'm probably not going to be full-time back in the 44 again next year I'm probably going to go to some version of a partial schedule and will Atlanta be a part of that it's a place that has meant so much to me in my life um, getting to race there and will this be the last time in a little while that I that I get to race at Atlanta Motor Speedway so it's special for me uh, have my family there and uh, we're I'm really looking forward to to race in there, especially now talking about the surface changing and, uh, and, and oh, what that's going to look like. It's like, all right, you know, I want to go out with a bang here at this play, not a literal bang, but like a figurative bang yeah, yeah. Of, a, of a good finish, <laughs> maybe a top 10 finish at, at a place that, that I love and, and managing the tires. And, and to me has that real kind of like old school feel of a NASCAR racetrack, um, so I love it. Really looking forward to it. Yeah. So yeah, at least the last race for sure of the current track surface that we have. And so as far as the owner's points, you guys are tied with uh, the four of JD Motorsports right now for 20th. And you always talk about that top 20 and owner's points. That's, that's where you want to be. Um, so this weekend, I know, weren't you, you were tied with uh, the 26 before, right? A few weekends ago. We were. Yeah. So we had fallen down as far as 23rd in the owner's points. And now, now you're we're back, back up, up in, back up in 20th. Um, we're tied with the four four twentieth, but we own the tiebreaker because we had a better yep. best finish than the four has had this year. Um, but look, we know it's going to be tied all year, man. We, we know who we're racing kind of, we've gotten into that stretch now where kind of everybody's kind of separated themselves from the batch. We know it's probably about six or seven cars that are kind of in the hunt for those final two spots really in the owner's points, really, if you look at like 19th to 20th. Yeah. Um, and we know that you got to basically beat all of them, right? The only one that's in front of us right now is the 36. Um, they had a tough day there at Road America and Alex yeah. is so talented on those road courses. So they were and before that they had done very well. Oh, they yeah. had rattled off. Uh, it was like eight straight top, eight 20 straight top 20s. Yeah. So 
they're going to be really, really hard to beat. Um, and everybody's going to be really hard to beat. I mean, yeah. I think about Santino. Santino's ripped off about four fi- top 15s in a row. Yep. Now, he's been a, he's back. a crash in every single one of them. Uh, but he's he's a fast driver, and he's going to be back in there this weekend. And, and with them uh, doing their partnership with Rogers in that car, um, you know, like in races that they're going to be going to be doing there with, with will he's so good man they're gonna be tough to beat man really tough so it's shaping up i'm glad you brought that up um we're in a good spot with it now i you can see over my shoulder i got my my board written back there where we're 20th and 20th so i'm 20th and driver points 20th and owner points it looks like the driver points are going to get a little bit tougher yeah. one of the drivers that we expected to fall back by limited participation was josh barry right? He was only going to run 10, 12 races and then be done. Well, it looks like he's going to keep finding a way to get in a car, which I think is good for NASCAR. It is probably not good for Tommy Joe Martins and Martins Motorsports when it comes to another position opening up in that top 20 in the driver points. He's going to be in the 31 for Jordan Anderson uh, this weekend, which is turning into a little bit of the all-star Chevrolet car uh, with the partnership that they've got going he, on with Chevy. Yeah, he's running Knoxville, too, in the 25. So he's going to have a busy weekend, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be a quick turnaround for old Josh. So, uh, yeah. look, he's going to do a great job for him. And so they're going to be tough to beat. And I'm looking at them, quite frankly, RJ, as the the deep sleeper for making some big strides up there in the points. Because, like, they're trying to get into the top 30 of the owner's points to qualify for that bonus, right? That's what they're really clawing at. And they're going yeah. full tilt boogie with the best drivers they can put in there. Oh, they'll, they'll get there. Oh, and, yeah. and they're going to get there, right? Now, the question becomes, once they get there, are they going to keep going full tilt, potentially going and, and paying drivers to get in the car, potentially, you know, Chevrolet kind of wheeling and dealing with that? To, to try to get them up into the top 20, that I don't know, right? I think the main thing for them right now is kind of securing that top 30 spot so the team can start start operating with that bonus money that we've, we've talked about before. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see. It seems like Josh is going to keep getting these opportunities. I think he has about 350 points or so, give or take a little bit right now in the standings. For me, when I looked at it at the beginning of the year, my goal, RJ, was to try to get to 600 points. That was my goal. Um, we're a little bit behind that right now, given that we're at the halfway point of the season. I would say we're about 30 points off of where, with the pace that I wanted us to be on, which basically having five DNFs will do that uh, over the course of 16 races or whatever. Uh, but I feel like our pace has been good enough to accomplish what I've wanted to accomplish. So the question you have to start asking is you start doing this point math where you go, okay, if I do get to 550 or 600, how many guys are going to get there, right? Is Ty Gibbs going to get there? Well, it looks like he probably will, all right? Is Josh Berry going to get there? Well, if he keeps running all the races, yeah, he probably will. So how many spots are there in that point standings really open at that point for that for kind of that bubble? And really, it's only like three spots, and it's right now those spots are taken up by like me and Landon and LeBay. And that's, that's really it. And so if you start throwing another wrench into this with like maybe Sam Mayer running a big slate of races um, and, and jumping up in there, 
it could wind up being the same type of thing, RJ, where we're looking at really there's only like two open spots from the guys that we're already kind of seeing locking themselves up there near the front of the field, right? So this this could wind up being a really tight battle in the driver's points as well. And so I've you know I've write, I've written it up there every week behind me to kind of keep track of where we're at. We understand the stakes, and I can tell you that all the other teams we're racing against, they know them too. Yeah. And one guy down there is Brett Moffitt, who knew what situation yeah, he was guy. in when he switched points. And he's likely going to be in a must-win situation to make the playoffs. And he could. I mean, that team could go out and win a race. We still have Daytona left. Yeah, uh, they struggled the this weekend bad Yeah, at, at Road America. They did struggle big time. Um, and still had a chance at a top 20 finish there at the end. Wound up obviously getting in a wreck there with the 07 car and Josh Balicki. So, And I look at the 07 how they have put Balicki in the car and they have put JJ Yaley in that 07 at times. And so are they trying to swing for the fences and try to get that thing back up in the point? So there's a lot of stuff yeah, going on yeah. there. Yeah. So th there's a lot of stuff going on there and that, that 07 is dangerously low yeah. in the points. So there's a lot of moving around, but really around that bubble down there for the driver's points and the owner's points on the driver's side, you're looking at Moffitt, me, LeBay, Josh Williams, um, and Landon Castle. And you can maybe throw in a wild card, you know, like a, like a Sam Mayer or somebody like that, that might come on strong with some big stage points and stuff like that. But really that's kind of who's surfaced as the contenders for the top 20 spots. I think realistically three of them are going to get paid and we're talking about six drivers. Yeah. So those are some pretty high stakes. I mean, there's a lot of that's a lot of racing left to do here for that. And that's why I felt like for my team, it was so huge because I know that Alex is such a talented road racer. Um, they had a tough day and we had a good day. And if that's a spot where we go to a road course and we're gaining points on him, you know, that's that is critical uh, for us to be able to stay in the mix for both of these point standings. Uh, look, and I love Alex. Like, I have so much respect for him and Josh Williams, who wound up having a solid finish there at Road America this weekend. Um, and he got a top 10 at a road course earlier this year. It is going to be a dogfight all year, RJ. And, like, we're talking about swings that are probably going to happen in races that really, because we're racing around each other so much, it's not going to be more than about a four or five point swing on a given day where this is going to get really nuts is the mistakes wrecking motors blowing up something on the car breaking when something like that that happens out of your control that can be those 10 15 20 point swings that really flip this thing uh for the end of the year yeah and it'll be a lot of fun we got atlanta then new hampshire where you guys didn't visit last year but you will this year uh then watkins Glen, indy road course Michigan. So an interesting crop of uh, tracks on the schedule for sure. That will be interesting to see how everything plays out. Top 20 points. Yeah, and, battle. and a two week break coming up yes. here. That's the reset, right? So like we're in the stretch now where we've been running for about eight or nine weeks in a row. Um, and we're, we're kind of coming to the close of that Atlanta and then up to New Hampshire. And then we get a two week break for the Olympics. We're all going to kind of take a breath and then we run 13 or it's, I think it's 13 races in a row down the stretch to close this thing out. Yeah. And so this is it, right? Like we're kind of getting to the break point here. 
and then we're going to look at the standings and go, okay, who are, who are the contenders and the pretenders? And, and that's the same stretch for looking for the playoffs, right? So we can have a talk about that as well on the pod. But we're going to kind of see who's, who's got the shot to do this. And I think that's going to be a fun storyline to, to kind of chase over the course of the year. What I know is that we at Martin's Motorsports in the 44, we're going to be a part of it without a doubt. We are going to be right there either just in the bubble or just out of it probably all year long. Yep. And yeah, it's a big uh, family team battle kind of right now between Clemens and Brown. They're separated by 33 points for the final playoff spot. Riley Herbst back there really needing something big to happen. 43 points back. Ryan and had C. a big day at Road America. Had a yes. big day at Road America. And, and that was so clutch for them. Yeah. And a backup car as well because they wrecked it, you know, in yeah. practice. So they that had to rip out a backup car. Them. Big time for Riley Herbst. Yeah. Ryan Sieg, who's been like he's been rallying all season, basically, because they started off really in a deep hole. And have just been digging themselves right. out. Talked about Alex LeBay, his recent uh, string of, of good finishes. And you never know with these road courses coming up. I mean, LeBay is always up there, top 10, top five. And- yeah, and you're talking about basically 12 points being the separation between me and being 18th or being 20th, yep. right? So that is really tight between me and Alex and, and Landon. And that's a point separation that could swing on a given weekend, right? Like we, we all know that. But then you talked about that next little jump. It is a, a big jump. Nope. Went out there for a second. Okay. Just kind of to maybe reiterate what you just said because it just broke out. Just a oh, little. yeah. So, it, like, so that back end there where you're talking about with me and Alex – and Landon, uh, really, a really tight grouping of about 12 points between the three of us. But when we go to that next little group, th- there is that separation between Ryan C and Brandon Brown and Jeremy and Riley and Maya Snyder. They've kind of separated themselves from us. So that's why when I talk about the contenders and the pretenders here, it looks like they've jumped up ahead of us enough that we're – I'm not saying you can't catch them. I'm not saying something can't – they can't start – falling apart but it seems like they've built themselves enough of a cushion here rj that really the the fight that we've got to stay in the top 20 is really more behind us than it is really in front of us that we can catch people yep so like you mentioned we got two weeks here at land new hampshire and then the two-week break for for the olympics and all that stuff so here we go two weeks until two-week break i mean what's what's the mindset as driver tm owner final race g machine at atlanta uh oh gosh uh i mean the the Mindsets go go get it. I mean, we we look at this like a place that is a strong suit for us. Our mile and a half program has been good. It is a worn out track, a place that I love racing at, uh, that plays to my strengths on a long run. Um, so we look at it like a chance for us to go get big points in a day, potentially some stage points with strategy, potentially uh, tire saving, long run speed, top fifteen type type of day where we can maybe take that next little jump, try to get ourselves a cushion um, and a place that we got to go attack it, right? Like we, we're, we're going in there, taking a big swing at it. Just like when Alex LeBay goes to a road course, he's like, this is it for me. I look at Atlanta, Darlington, uh, you know, those type of racetracks, like, okay, this is, this is my jam here. This is where I should be really good. Uh, and that's how we feel about it. Yeah. All right. So can't forget uh, Knoxville. We got a dirt race on Friday. We're going to a real dirt track, Knoxville Raceway, uh, sprint car capital of the world that uh, I think there's one practice on Thursday, but then Friday there's heat races as well. 
as well as uh, practice heat races will be the qualifying, then the race nine o'clock uh, Eastern on FS1. Then you have the Xfinity race on Saturday. Uh, that will be the Credit Karma Money 250, so 250 miles. That'll be on Saturday, 3.30, NBCSN, the Cup Race 3.30 on Sunday, and NBCSN in Atlanta. So thank you to Ernie Francis Jr. for coming on the pod, being our guest today. And hopefully everyone enjoys uh, the dirt race on Friday night and then the Atlanta weekend, which will be the final weekend of what it's been paved as right now is they'll go to repave it after and we'll have some new racing. We'll have to see what Atlanta brings for us uh, in 2022 and beyond. Maybe some new memories. We, we hope uh, yeah. that we get from the new speedway. Good so memories. Hopefully new good memories. Exactly. Hopefully some good memories. So thank you guys for tuning in. And that's been another episode of the driver's meeting podcast presented by bet on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.